You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Happy Resurrection Day. Uh, This is the first time I've ever been to church at uh, night on Easter Sunday. But uh, it doesn't really matter because Jesus is always resurrected since he resurrected. So it really doesn't matter. Amen. And we're just going to celebrate and and move forward. But the Lord was speaking to me really strongly uh, during worship. As a matter of fact, I leaned over to Ron and I said, it seems unusually quiet, doesn't it? He said, yeah, it sure does. And it wasn't 20 seconds later that the Lord began to release a word. Uh, and really, he gave me a vision. And uh, I, I began to see some of you. I saw some of your faces, but in general, I just saw you guys as a whole. And the Lord began to speak to me about how to help you win the battles that you're in right now. Let me just see a show of hands. Who's got some battles right now currently that you're facing that you need to get on the other side of? Pretty much every person in the room. I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. I don't know where it will go. I don't know how long it will stay on it. But I'm just going to release what the Lord put on my heart to release to you. And I saw... For some of you, you had multiple giants that were standing in front of you. Some of you just had one giant, but uh, you guys had things that you were facing that were impossible for you to be able to, to get past. It was impossible for you, for you to be able to defeat it. But the good news is, is that we serve the God of the impossible. As a matter of fact, what Jesus did uh, on the cross was impossible, What he did when he rose from the dead was impossible, and the same uh, spirit that did all the impossible things lives on the inside of us. But I want to tell you something. God has given you, and this is the word I have for you. You need to hear this. You need to grab a hold of it. Every one of you need to grab a hold of what I'm getting ready to tell you right now, because if you don't need it at this moment, you're going to need it. This is a word from the Lord. You have a weapon to win the war that you may or may not be aware of, but God says that you have what you need to win. You are loaded. You have everything you need. And what you don't need, listen to me now, what you don't need is what somebody else has. You need the thing that God has given you and most likely you're already familiar with. Some people, they want to have the big shiny sword and shield or the, you know, the expensive AR-15, we'll bring it into modern times. But listen, if you've been winning battles with a butter knife, you've got what you need to defeat the enemy because it's not about the weapon you have. It's about the one who gives you the power to wield the weapon. So let me give you just a little bit of backstory here, and then I'm going to read a bunch of verses. You guys okay with reading a bunch of word? Because the answer is in the word anyways. We all know the story of David and Goliath, but I'm going to read some of it here because it's going to bless you and it's going to knock your socks off. It's going to encourage you and it's going to strengthen you. And then we'll just see where the Lord wants to go from here. I've got a whole message planned out, but the Lord can interrupt our service anytime. Amen. And so the story of David, of course, we know that uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot in the story of David. We'll just start from the point that his own father didn't think very much of him because Samuel came to the house of Jesse, which was David's father, and he said, one of your sons is going to be king. Line your sons up here, and the Lord's going to speak to me, which one? And he went down the row, and Samuel the prophet went all the way down. He said, not any of these are the ones that are supposed to be anointed king. He said, do you have another one? 
He should have already been standing there, but there was a father that didn't believe in his son. Has anyone in here ever had somebody not believe in you that should have believed in you? Probably every one of us have. And so Jesse said, well, there's another one. (laughs) He said, well, go and get him. They brought him in. And, of course, we know the story that it was David. And when Samuel saw David, he said, this is the one. And he took out his horn of oil and he anointed him to be king. It was done in private. Uh, for the sake of everybody's safety, because it was not his time to step into his calling, but he was anointed for his calling. Huge message in that. You can have an anointing for something, but you have to wait on God's timing for the promotion. Crazy important. And so as the, the, the story goes, you fast forward, and there was not too far in the future, and there was this giant called Goliath. And I love David because when you go and you read the story, and we're going to read some of this, but David heard about Goliath, but there were also four brothers that Goliath had. You know how many stones he went to get? Five stones. You know why? Because he was planning on killing all five of them. And you say, well, didn't he need some extra rounds? No, because his faith was not in his his ability to throw the rock with the sling. His faith was in the ability for God to throw the rock through him with the sling. I'm trying, to be, I'm trying to say it calmly, but I'm just on fire on the inside. The, you know, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord was shut up in my bones like fire. And if you've never had that before, it's just like you have to open up your mouth and say not just something, but what it is that God's telling you to say. And so in chapter 17, and I'm going to skip around just a little bit because it's, it's a pretty long chapter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read the first five verses because I want you to see the giant that David was facing here that really the nation of Israel was facing, the army of Israel was facing. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together. This is 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokak. I don't know. I don't know how you say that. Which belongs to Judah. They encamped uh, between whatever that is and those places. Verse 2 (laughs) <laughs> and so, you don't have to be smart to understand the Bible, amen? You just, you just got to believe it. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle, a battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, which means that according to pretty much every uh, Bible scholar, and all, I've got all these friends that are Bible scholars, you know, everyone says the Bible scholars, and it's like, who do you know that's a Bible scholar? Nobody knows, but we always just say it. But I actually, this is one of the things I went and did and looked up what a, what a cubit was, and it's the measurement from here, from the tip of your fingers to your elbow was what most people believe the the cubit was. And so it was, which is about 18 inches. So it was six cubits in a span. Well, uh, I believe that would come up to a minimum of nine feet, nine inches tall. And you say, well, how could a human being be so tall? It's because he was half human and he was half uh, demonic entity, uh, angelic, uh, whatever. And so it was part of the Nephilim, and I don't have time to get into all of that. You can research that yourself. Uh, But it said in verse 5, I want you to see what kind of man this was. He was six cubits in a span, so he was nine foot, nine inches tall. 
And you can think about a basketball hoop is 10 foot, so he was just under or right at or maybe even just above the size of a basketball hoop. I can't even jump up and touch that high. But it says, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And in my Bible, in the commentary, it says that it was 126 pounds. The weight of his coat was 126 pounds. That's impressive. And go on and read a couple more verses, and it says, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, uh, and a shield bearer went before him. And my Bible says in the commentary about 600 shekels that that was between 15 and 16 pounds. That's one heavy broadhead <laughs> for those of you that use arrows and, and do any hunting. And so I want to fast forward because I just want you to see what it was that he was facing. He was facing something in the natural that was impossible. Not only was he small and good-looking. You know, good-looking people aren't supposed to be good fighters. It's the ugly ones that are supposed to be good fighters, right? I don't know. So he was small, he was good-looking, and you had this big, nasty, ugly giant. He had everything in the natural working against him, including his own father who didn't believe in him. Sometimes the people that should believe in us the most believe in us the least. You know what I like about you guys? The Lord was speaking to this, this to me during worship as well, is that you guys, and I've just found that I, I get myself surrounded by people that are gritty. You guys are gritty. And I mean that in a really, really good way. But you're willing to roll up your sleeves and do the dirty work. Naturally, in the spirit, whatever it takes. And I like people like that. I like people that will stay the course. Let me tell you something. Every one of you look up here at me. You have the power, the ability on the inside of you, God-ordained, God-given to stay the course. You've got grit. You've got true grit. <laughs> Sounds like a movie title. <laughs> I want to go down to verse... My gosh, where do you start with this? Let's go down to verse 33. So basically, the story goes that uh, David went to bring his brothers some food. He found out about the Philistine, and he said, what kind of reward will be given for the person that can <laughs> defeat the Philistine? David did not let the lack of what everybody else who should have done what David was doing, he didn't let that lack deter him from what he knew he was able to do with his God. And it says, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are, are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. He was saying, this thing, this so-called man who does not have a covenant with God 
will be absolutely nothing compared to me. As a matter of fact, the fight is unfair because I have God on my side. <laughs> Verse 37, it says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul, now listen, this is so important. Oh, God, so important. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Let me tell you something. There are people that are trying to put things on you, telling you how you're supposed to do your walk, how you're supposed to fight your battle. But the thing that you need to win the war that God has called you to win, you already have the necessary tools to win that battle at every turn. You know why? Because I promise you that every one of you, you're here today. You are seated here today because you have already defeated some, some enemies in your life. You've already killed some lions and some bears. Otherwise, you wouldn't be seated here today because I promise you that Satan hates every one of you. With every fiber of his being, he hates every one of you. But here you are. Those of you that are watching online, there you are. How is that possible? Because you've discovered some tools Maybe you haven't become really great at using them, but you've discovered some tools, some weapons that God has placed in your hand that if you will just use them, and you already have used them, and that's why you're seated here, but if you'll use them again, it doesn't matter the size of the giant. It matters the size of the God inside of the person that's fighting the giant. There is no limit to how big God is. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It literally does not matter what you're facing. And I don't mean that in an uncaring way. It does matter what you're going through. But what I am saying is that it doesn't matter how big it is. God is still yet bigger. But you need to stop allowing people to put things on you that are not going to help you because they're not helping them. Saul tried to put something on David that wasn't helping him. Otherwise, he would have been the one. As the so-called leader of Israel, he would have been the one out there saying, come on, let's take this guy who doesn't have a covenant with God like we do. It's all about who you know. It's not about the stuff you have. It's all about the fact that you know your God. It's not about having all the bells and whistles. All you need is faith in God. You don't need anything else. All you need is faith. Who was it? That's Shambach that said that, right? Or Caps. I get those two guys confused. Shambach said, all you need is faith in God. Let me tell you something. All you need is faith in God. Not in you, not in your ability, not in your armor. Let's continue reading the story. Not in anybody else's armor either. So verse uh, forty. 39, David fastened his sword. I read all that. And then it says, so David took them off. Amen, praise God. We're taking off the things that have not been tested. Take off the things that haven't been tested. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, the trusty old shepherd's staff, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. Hmm. 
and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Could you imagine? There was probably a mixture of things in the camp. He probably had his brothers who were both scared for their younger brother's life and were embarrassed because of his apparent foolishness. I mean, imagine these big strapping guys full of armor with all the weaponry and all of them are standing down and you have this puny little good-looking shepherd boy with this, I mean, think about this, with a staff and a sling and some stones in a bag that he says, I'll take them. You could imagine the things that were going on and there were some that loved him probably like his brothers. I don't know if they really did. I don't know, but they probably did on some level, but most of the people were probably mocking him. A lot of times when you step out to do something that God's told you to do and the way that God's told you to do it, and this doesn't mean rebellion or anything like that, but you're just being you. You're just doing what God's told you to do. There's a lot of mockery that happens. You know what's interesting? That I, I get uh, this word and things said to, to us all the time about like, you know, you guys do things different and things look different and, you know, your services are different and, and all that. And sometimes, you know, the pastor's single biggest challenge is not being discouraged for the lack of people that support them. Even in big, even in big churches, they'll still find people that will come around, but a very few that will really support them. I tell you now, I got more people that support me and the, the two campuses that we have than a lot of mega churches do with pastors and the number of people that actually support them. People, are, people can be really tough, but I am so strengthened and encouraged by the number of people and the quality of people, you guys, that God has placed around me. I feel like I can do anything. You're like my secret weapon. I've got you in my, my bag and ready to go and tackle the world. We are, the, we are, I'm going to tell you something, we are the answer to the drug problem in Bonterre. We are the answer to the homeless problem in Bonterre. I don't know how, I don't know with what tools, and I don't know how to have the money, and I don't know how to have the facilities, and I don't, but I'm telling you now, we are the answer. God threw us, but we have the answers because of him. We're the answer to it. You say, what are we going to do? Let's start with prayer and say, God, show us how to, how to tackle this Goliath that's here. It's a problem here. It is a real problem here. What are we going to do about it? I can't go down that road because I don't. It's got to, Jesus, it's got to be a breath of life that comes into us. And I'm speaking to me too, to all of us to where we have a burden, a holy burden from God that he's breathed on us, that we look at the people and we say, what do I need to do to fix the problem that's going on? And I'm not saying people haven't tried, and I'm, I'm not saying like, oh, we'll just do it in a little bit. No, it would take a lot of work. It will take a lot of work, but I am saying that there's a problem in our community. Every community has problems, and the church is supposed to be the answer. say, how do we do that? I don't know, but God. So verse 41, I'm going to try not to preach and just read this, but that's not even true. So verse 41, it says, so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, 
for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. <laughs> so the Philistines, I told you, good-looking people are not supposed to, they don't, they don't fight. That's why they're good-looking. They don't get beat up. So the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me <laughs> with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give you flesh and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, with the spear and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It's not what you don't have. It's what you do have. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He ran. Then David put his hand. You know why you need to run sometimes towards your problem? Because if you're running towards it, you don't have time to sit and think about how big it is. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. There is so much supernatural taking place in this story. Sometimes in the natural events that are going on, we miss the supernatural God at work in our midst. Last time I checked, a smooth stone being thrown, and I mean, I say last time I checked, I've never actually done it, but in my mind, a smooth stone thrown from even the strongest person hitting a giant in the forehead probably wouldn't sink into his forehead. I mean, that's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I've never seen anyone that could really throw a sling probably like David could throw a sling. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, it sunk into his forehead. God was behind it. You take what you have and do what you can do, and God will do what he will do, which is more than enough to cover all of the, all of the, the lack that you have to meet the need for this current situation that you're in. Hmm. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Why did it put that in there? Because it was saying there wasn't the means that everybody else was using that wasn't working to kill the enemy that needed to be killed. I believe, this is what I, I believe, this is, this is my personal opinion. This is complete Kentology, but I'm going to believe it. That when we get to heaven, we will be able, you can call it Kentology, whatever, it's just Kentology is a term for my philosophy on something. But this is just what I believe. When we get to heaven, there will be a giant screen where somehow all of heaven will be assembled to be able to see this giant screen and we'll be able to... I want to say push in a tape, but that's very old school. Heaven will have better technology than what we have even right now. 
We'll be able to push a button, and it's going to replay what we've read. And we're going to be able to, to scroll through and go, oh, there's where David killed Goliath. Let's watch that one. But before that, we're going to go, you know what, let's go back and let's see how he was faithful with the sling and with the anointing and with the power of God to kill the lion and the bear. Let's watch the practice first. Let's see some technique that he had involved in that first. This will be fun. I mean, why not? We got all eternity. You might as well just watch all of the Bible stories, right? And then we're going to get to the part where he killed Goliath, and all of heaven is going to roar. Because it won't be David that gets the glory for that. It will be the God that was in him. And it already is the God that was not in him but with him that got the glory for what he did, but we're going to get to replay that whole thing in heaven. I really believe that. If you guys don't believe that, then I'm at least going to have it at my house, and Jesus, will, he'll have a big screen set up for me in my, in my mansion, amen. It's going to be really cool. Let me tell you something else that will be there. See, here's the thing about, about the judgments. I was just reading on the judgments of God, and there's, all, there's a lot of confusion, and one day I'm going to understand it perfectly myself, and be able to relay it as good as I need to. But basically, let me say this. There's a lot of confusion about judgment when it comes to, uh, when it comes to what happens after we die. When we go to heaven with the Lord, what we did wrong is not held against us. And what we did right, we get rewarded for. If we get rewarded negatively, if we get punished for the wrong stuff, then what about that whole thing about Jesus throwing our sins as far as the east is from the west? Listen, we, he's not holding our stuff against us. And when we get to heaven, let me tell you what's going to happen is that you're going to get rewarded for what I believe it's what you did in faith and what you did in love. I believe that's where the rewards will come in. But there is also going to be in the scroll of all of the videos that we could watch and all of heaven will be there and it will pull up the practice rounds where you got your victories. And then it's going to pull up where you actually defeated the giant that you didn't think you could face, face, but you got enough confidence in the Lord and enough confidence in the covenant that you had with your God, realizing that the giant that you were facing was not in covenant with your God like you were with your God, who's the God of all the entire world, the entire universe, who has all the power and all the victory, and he's given it all to you, you will have defeated that giant, and all of heaven is going to stand in victory watching you throw your stone into the giant's head. I felt a more hallelujah amen on that than what you guys gave me. I mean, come on, that's going to be you. That's going to be everybody watching God work through you as you defeat your giant. And the reality is that there is a cloud of witnesses in heaven right now already cheering you on, saying, go for it. You can do it. David's standing up there going, if I can do it, you can do it. Noah's like, if I can build a boat, and it took me 100 years, and people mocked me. And there were giants in the earth on that day, too. And God somehow or another held them off. If you, if I can build a boat and do the impossible thing, being, imagine he, how much he was mocked that it never even rained. 
And he was built. It really wasn't a boat. It was a submarine. So somebody did some math on this. It was uh, Bob Yandian's son, Rob Yandian. I heard him talking about this. He did some, some math on this. And if, if you assumed that half of, the, so for to, to cover the top of Mount Everest more than whatever feet it was, I forget the number, assuming that half of the water came from the sky and half of it came from the earth, just as an assumption, <laughs> okay, really, 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 really hard rainstorm is like three, four, five inches of rain an hour. <laughs> it would have had to have rained 180 inches per hour, assuming that half of the water came from the sky and the other half came from the earth. So I don't, I mean, that's, they didn't build a boat, they built a submarine. That is essentially what happened because there was so much water coming, it wasn't about floating, it was about not leaking. This is why there was the, the, the pitch or the tar that was put over it. But you know that God is the one that sealed that door? You just take what it is that God's asked you to do, and God will make, sh- he will make sure that you're, you're successful. And we're here because Noah obeyed God. But more than that, we're here because God was faithful to finish what he had started with Noah. Did we finish reading this? Oh, no, we didn't. I said I wasn't going to preach, and then I got, man, is this blessing anybody? This is blessing me. What verse was I at? Someone help me. Verse 50. It says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off uh, and cut off his head with it. If I'd have said that cleaner, it would have gotten a big amen. But anyways, he cut his head off. And I like the old Carmen song. He was someone that really knew how to get ahead. <laughs> You'd have to go back and listen to it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And this, this sounds, anyways, sounds like a medieval story. Anyways, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to, yes, and yes, and yes. Verse 53, then the children of Israel returned, and all those words are important, but I'm not trying to point them out, and I don't know how to pronounce them. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. (laughs) And David, I love it, and David took the head of the Philistine. He was probably like dragging the head like, I got it, I got it. It's like one of my kids dragging a killing from the woods. It was was like that. Man, when when you live with a hunter, you can open your fridge and just find rabbits. You can find birds. You can find all kinds of things in there to eat. So praise God. Uh, <laughs> and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to, uh, brought it to Jerusalem, uh, but he put his armor in his, in his tent. So he kept his armor. He's like, this is the failure right here. When Saul uh, saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, 
I do not know. Doesn't matter if anybody knows your name. It's a word for me. Matter who knows your name. God does. We'll just finish the chapter. It says, so the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. I love it. David's like, yeah, I got my trophy. Yeah. And Saul said to him, who's, who's, I mean, think about how big his, yeah, his head was huge. I have a pretty big head. <laughs> I, I, you're like, oh, don't say that about yourself. Yeah, try going into the hat store and trying to buy a hat. It's very challenging. Don't ever buy me a hat because I guarantee you it won't fit. But this guy's head would have to have been huge. I mean, think about it. It's like a beach ball. <laughs> this is a horrible movie, but has anyone ever seen So I Married an Axe Murderer? Has anyone ever seen that? Don't go watch it, okay? Do not go watch it. I watched it years ago, and this grandpa was telling his kid, he was sitting in, do not go watch the movie, okay? He was telling his kid, his kid's name was, they were Scottish, and this kid had this big old melon head, and he's like, William, move your head, boy. It's like an orange on a toothpick. I don't know. Spirit of Joseph Z's on me and giving movie titles. The bad movie title. Do not watch that movie. Uh, I said it like four times because it's, sure enough, I'll mention something. Someone will come back and go, well, you know, you mentioned that, and it wasn't a very clean movie. I told you, don't, don't watch the movie. All right, so. Uh, anyways, I watched it many years ago. Uh, where were we at? Let's finish this up. And I'll say funny things. You guys keep me on track. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am this, and he's still honored. You, you know, you would have thought he would have said, uh, I don't have a dad. But he honored his dad. I mean, I'm not saying that Jesse was a bad dad, but my gosh, he didn't even, he didn't even think enough of him to think that he could be king. I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the, the Bethlehemite. Hallelujah. Uh, this is not a resurrection message, but you know what? It is a resurrection message. Because the victory, because see, David had a covenant with his God. The Bible says that we have a better covenant made with better promises. It's really, it's really the same covenant because it's one of faith, but the benefits that we have, we can't mess it up because of what Jesus did. Now, you can live messed up. I've met some people that live really, really messed up after putting faith in the Lord, and you can mess your life up if you do that. But you can't mess up what God did in terms of what Jesus did on the cross because he didn't make a covenant with man. He made a covenant with himself. The covenant was made between two immutables, which means two unchangeable things. It wasn't made between God and man. It was made between God and Jesus. It was made between God and God. God made a covenant with himself for man that anyone who would choose by faith to enter into it could receive all of the benefits of that covenant. Let's go to Galatians chapter 
3. Can you guys take a few more minutes? Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to go to verses 13 and 14. Now, let me give you a couple of things concerning the resurrection, just because it is Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. It's whatever you want to call it is just fine. It's the Passover season because Jesus has passed over our sins. And you know the deal is, Jesus didn't just pass over our sins. You know what he passed over? The sin nature. You say, well, why is that important? Because if it was just the individual sins, there is a, and I believe in living repented. When you do something wrong, go to the Lord and say, God, you and I both know what I did. I repent of that. I turn, and I want to walk upright before you. But it's not about repenting from your individual sins as much as it is about repenting from your old sin nature. What defiled us before the Lord was the nature we used to have. What makes us right before the Lord now is the nature that we have. We have a born-again, regenerated, made alive unto God, new nature, which is righteous in him. That's some good news. You know, the message of the resurrection is so important. I heard one man of God say this, uh, and it really struck a chord in me, that if the resurrection, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, if he didn't, then we have a responsibility to humanity to tell them about what great lie has been taught for 2,000 years. If the message and the event of the resurrection really did happen, and it did, then we have a responsibility, because it is so great, we have a responsibility for the rest of our lives to tell humanity about it. Because if Jesus was who he said he was, and the Bible depicts who who he was, and it's all true, and it is all true, it is the greatest, the resurrection of Jesus was and is the single greatest event in the history of mankind. There's not anything more important. Jesus dying was uh, the, the second great event. It was the first one up to that point. And you say, what was so great about it? It's because Satan is spiritually stupid. He was so blinded by his lust to destroy the Son of Man that if he had any sense at all, he would have worked to keep Jesus off of the cross and not die. But he just has got things all mixed up, and he didn't understand that when he worked to put him in the grave, which, by the way, nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his spirit. Nobody can kill God. God allowed them to do what they did, and he gave up his spirit. It was his choice. Everything that Jesus did was his choice. It was all by choice. Why? Because love. He was possessed with love. He was possessed with the idea of of saving, not just saving humanity, but building a bridge to where we could have intimate relationship with him. He was, I mean, we we might think of this in a bad way, but I, I would say he was obsessed or possessed with the idea of doing it to the point that he allowed his own life to be taken. But then the resurrection came, and if it hadn't have come, the death would have been meaningless. But because he resurrected, all of the things that he paid the price for, all of the sin that he took upon himself, think about the sin of the entire world being put on one person 
who was completely perfect in every way. He was the Mary Poppins. He was a true Mary Poppins of humans. He was practically perfect in every way. Amen. Think about, think about if you could take all the sins of your life and place them all on yourself at one time. How could one man take all of the sin, not just individual sins, but the sin nature of all humanity, however many billions of people who have ever lived, how could he take the sin of the entire world all in one, I could call it a day or a season, however long exactly, however long that looked, how could one man do all of that? I don't know, but God did. You know what else he also took on him? He took on every amount of hurt. He took on all of the sickness. He took poverty upon himself. Every wrong thing that this life and the devil had to offer us, Jesus took all of it on him, making an atonement for us to have victory in every single area of our life. Thank you, Jesus. Let me, let me say this. A couple things I really want to say before I read this passage, and then we're going we're gonna to close. Jesus didn't die and resurrect to create an event or to create a day. He died and he resurrected to create a lifestyle. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10, it says, with the mouth, confession is made unto... Let's go and read it. Can we pull that up there? Forget the other one for a moment. Let's go to Romans 10. That's Romans 8, also very powerful. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Look at this. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Praise God for salvation being made simple. Verse 10. It says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Go back to verse 9, and look at the last part. It says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So you're believing in your heart, but what are you believing unto? Next verse. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You say, what does righteousness and being, Jesus being raised from the dead have to do with each other? Everything. Because Jesus' resurrection was your resurrection. His death was your death. His death took all of the punishment that you deserved and I deserved, and all of it went on him. And the resurrection that Jesus received when he came up out of the grave was our resurrection into newness of life. And this is why we have the picture of water baptism, because when you go down in the waters of baptism, the old man is left down in the water. Because, see, there is water baptism, baptism, which is a real deal. There's power in it. But it is largely a picture of the real baptism that takes place on the inside when you get born again. And so water baptism, you go down and you come up, and it's this picture of here I am, a brand new creature in Christ. I've been washed, and I've been cleansed, and I've been made new. The real baptism that took place when you got born again was you going down into the grave and you being resurrected into a new life and into a new position 
not trying to become righteous, but already made completely 100% right before the Lord. Righteousness is not about a series of actions that you do to become. It's about a position that you are in because of the work of Christ in your life. That's incredible. So what we now possess in the Lord, and in my opinion, this is the greatest weapon that we have. See, the breastplate of righteousness this talks, it talks about the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, and it talks about, you know, the sword of the Spirit, and it talks about the shield of faith and the gospel shoes of peace and the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. All of them have extreme significance to them. All of them are important. But I really like the breastplate of righteousness because it's a, it's a boldness about the position that you have from the kingdom that you represent. Because, see, when Paul was writing about the, the armor of God, he was using... Uh, I, I believe he was using Roman uh, armor to depict things that we have spiritually in Christ or in God. It says the armor of God. Man, think about that. God's armor. God's armor is impenetrable. Did I say that right? It does not have the ability to be penetrated by anything, nothing. And guess what? You and I, we have God's armor. In the breastplate of righteousness, it's about... It's not just the breastplate, but it's the breastplate of righteousness. And when they were wearing it, and this was common for all armies. You know, we've seen the, the movies and all of the pictures and things. And they would have some kind of insignia right there, right? And it was saying, this is where I am from, and this is what I am backed by. And they had a right to be backed by what they were wearing. Because they came from that place. You have a right to be backed by, and this is why the breastplate of righteousness has whatever insignia it would have if you can just allow your mind to go there. Whatever sounds cool between you and God. If you want a, you want a sword, great. If you want a sling, great. You want a slingshot, great. You want an AR-15, great. Whatever it is. You've got heaven's insignia on you. You have heaven's stamp of approval on you. And you are backed by the place that you have come from. You say, well, I don't, I don't feel like I've come from heaven. Uh, the Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You and I are citizens of heaven. Every time I go out of the country, I love going on mission trips and doing things like that. But every time I'm out after a little while, I'm like, I'm ready to go back home. Because it's really where I really, really belong. We have a belonging that's not of this earth. But while we are here, and see, when, when we're, we're in heaven, we can take all of the armor off because there won't be anybody there to mess with us. <laughs> but while you're here, you need to wear it. Because the enemy wants to destroy you. But you can walk into any situation just totally bold. Bold. Why? Because you're so great. No, because of the place that you came from and the king that you represent is so great. And you can just, all the shots. Now, that's what the shield of faith is for. Otherwise, you'd look ridiculous. Just that. Anyways, I don't know. I don't know. This is goofy. So I'm not doing it again. No, ma'am. Never again. 
Because you had your phone out, didn't you? You're going to take a picture. That's why you have the shield of faith, all right? So, but the breastplate is, is boldness. It protects all your vital organs. Spiritually, you have vital organs. Just like you have vital organs in, on your, your physical self, and a lot of them are right here, and something here would guard all of the organs in here, particularly your heart. And the enemy wants to come in and bring destruction to you, but you have the ability to stand against all of his accusations and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're messing with the wrong person. You don't know the authority. Actually, he does know the authority that you have. But as soon as you get a hold of the authority that you have, you have now put a stop to him coming in and messing with you anymore. Because he can't get past the child of God, not one who knows their authority. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm just throwing out some things that I think are good. There's so much that I didn't say that I wanted to say. But let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And we'll, I was going to finish here. We're really going to finish here. Closing number 3 of 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you're cursed. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you have a curse on your life because of your mom or your dad or your grandpa or because of whatever that they might say. If you are in Christ, you are not cursed because he became a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say that the blessings of Abraham, it says the, or it doesn't just say that blessings of Abraham. It says the blessing singular of Abraham. You say, why is that so important? Because that blessing is your ticket to fix any curse that might come against you. I'm not saying that curses don't come. We lived in a cursed world. The system in this world, it is cursed. Everything about this world system says that you are not good enough, that you're not smart enough, and doggone it, people don't like you. <laughs> Stuart Smalley, anybody? Anybody know what that is? Okay. Anyways, the world, <laughs> thank you, Stuart. <laughs> he has this interview thing that he go, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Saturday Night Live, don't watch it years ago. I'm throwing, telling you things not to do. This is kind of like when Tim Allen on Home Improvement, he got shocked really bad and his son was helping him. And he's like dancing around. He got shocked and he goes, son, I did this to show you what you should not do. Next time, just turn all of the power off in the whole house. So I see these things so you don't have to. All right, anyways, whatever. The blessing of Abraham is the thing that's come up on us through faith in Jesus because it came through the seed, Jesus, and we're in Christ and Christ is in us because of his grace and our faith in his grace. So it doesn't matter what blessings are taken from you. It doesn't matter how the enemy would rob from you. Now, I'm not saying we should just allow him to do that because he will come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the thief does. So I'm not saying we should just allow it, but I am saying no matter what loss you have suffered, no matter 
what the enemy's robbed from you, no matter what you've dealt with or are dealing with, the blessing is enough to fix all of it. So what you have is the ability through Christ and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. It is more than if it was enough power to raise Christ from the dead. It is enough to fix anything in your life. You are blessed. You're not in the process of being blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed in Christ. No sickness, no poverty, no disease, no calamity, no danger, no anything that could ever come nigh your dwelling is greater, is not greater or stronger than the blessing that you have in Christ Jesus. So when someone says something to you like, you know, like in the middle of a situation, they go, oh, how are you doing? You can rightly respond, I am blessed. Why? Because your circumstances are perfect? No, because your position in Christ is. Your position in Christ is perfect. Need some money? No problem. You are blessed. Need some healing in your body? No problem. You are blessed. Need some direction in your life? Not a problem. You are blessed. Need a relationship fixed? No problem. You're blessed. The blessing will fix anything and everything that needs to be fixed. You could lose everything. You could lose all your money in the stock market. You could be living on the streets. We won't allow that to happen to you. Amen. We'll take care. If it gets that bad, come talk to me. We will take care of you. But just say that, that it got to that point. You don't have the strength to bring, you don't have to have the strength to bring it all back. God has the strength already given to you in the fact that you are blessed. You're not just blessed with believing Abraham, you're blessed with believing Jesus. Jesus believed enough in you and in his covenant to bring you into it through faith. And because it's made between him and God, you can't screw it up. That's a good note to just close on. You can go home and say, huh, I can't screw it up. Turn to the person next to you and say, I can't screw it up. <laughs> you, cause yourself, you can cause yourself some heartache, unnecessary, self-inflicted wounds. Who, who's, who's had some self-inflicted wounds? But here's the deal. The Lord delivered them out of all of their problems and all of their distresses, even the things that they did. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand to your feet? Man, let's just shout unto God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the victory that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the weapons that we possess. Thank you, God, for resurrecting the sling and the stones. Thank you, Lord, that we're practicing with those in the smaller battles. And, Lord, when we face Goliath, it doesn't matter if it's within our ability. God, it's within your ability. And we have covenant with you. Who is that uncircumcised giant to speak anything against me, to speak anything against my household, to speak anything against my body? Cancer has no covenant with my God, but I do. Poverty has no covenant with my God, but I do. Whatever the name that would be put on it, there is no name that is greater than the name of Jesus, including the name of any situation that you would come up against. So, Father, we declare that we're a church that we're, we are gritty. We are gritty. We got true grit. 
And we're going to pick up the stones. We're going to pick up the weapon that, we, that you've given us, that we've become accustomed to. We're going to pick it up, and we are going to, not only are we going to kill the giant, but we're going to chop his ugly head off. And we're going to drag him around town and show the victory that we have in you, Jesus. We're going to carry around a trophy bigger than we can handle. And it's not a trophy of what we did, but it's a trophy of what you did through us. As a testimony to everybody of if you put faith in God, God can do this through you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.